one of the best analogies I like to uh, picture that I like to paint for people is like, we are an ice cube. We're all ice cubes to varying degrees, depending on how, you know, how stuck in our old ways we are. But an ice cube is very rigid, right? It's very one dimensional. It's not really free flowing, obviously. It's staying a lot in place. And that can be great up to a certain point, but the function of it is kind of, is very limited. We have an opportunity when we're talking about mindset coaching and getting out of our comfort zone and growing to melt away a little bit of that layer of that ice cube. And when we do so, we expand and we're able to fill more space. And we're able to we're able to flow a little bit more freely into these different areas of our life. So, yes, it's uncomfortable, obviously, to melt a little bit. At yeah, first. I love that. And we can go through varying degrees of how how much do we want to turn up that temperature and that's going to be dependent on the person right like we all have different risk tolerances let's link up with krista on the fix she's a wellness coach with a focus on mental well-being and physical strength Welcome to episode 35 of The Fix. I am your host, Krista Huber, and today I am bringing you guys my friend, Corey Camp. Corey and I have a bunch in common, as you'll hear right from the start of this episode, specifically the fact that we both grew up swimming, although Corey pursued it at the collegiate level, and that's really important to the rest of his story and the work that he does today through his podcast called The Forever Athlete, as well as his coaching program. We talk a lot about of the idea of a state of flow, and I learned so much from not only listening to this episode back during the editing process as well as being present in the conversation with Corey, but as someone who regularly interacts with everything he posts on social media, he shared something in a Instagram post about us being conditioned to always operate in certain ways versus assessing whether that method, that approach, that schedule, whatever it is, actually optimizes our performance and and helps us in guaranteeing our success. And specifically for Corey, and something myself I could kind of laugh about now as a swimmer, was early wake up times. We both, we talked about it in the podcast very briefly in terms of our schedules and being conditioned to waking up at 4 a.m. and being used to that being in the pool by 5 a.m., especially in the summertime when most of our friends were out having fun. We were like, all right, we got to go to long course practice. We're going to be up in the pool, freezing cold, first thing in the morning, right as the sun is coming up. And he posted about the fact that he's realized he's allowed that schedule to become so ingrained that he's gone into this mode, especially over the past two years or so, as he's really navigated post-grad and then his leap into entrepreneurship, that he would wake up right out of, get right out of bed and immediately be ready to rock, start working, answering emails, jumping on his computer. And it took some time and it took kind of stepping back and reassessing his situation to realize that that's probably not the best way to start your day. But just kind of really stuck with me knowing that that's how that showed up in his life even years later since leaving the pool. And there's a lot of great realizations that you'll hear throughout this conversation that are going to encourage you to kind of look at the ways that you operate, look at your goals, 
one of the things that I think is really useful in some of this conversation that I had with Corey is what are some of the triggers that impact our flow state? And one of them was getting really clear and really specific on your goals. This is something that is so relevant in the world of nutrition. People out there, I know you guys are gearing up for the fall. You're probably getting back into a routine. Any parents out there, their kids are getting ready to go back to school and usually decide now's a good time to get back to the gym. Maybe now's a time to start working with a coach. Get really specific. The ways that you can help yourself in taking complete advantage of that tool and really maximizing your ability to be successful with working with somebody, with having that accountability built in, is rather than saying, I'd really like to lose body fat. That's your brain doesn't operate that way. It's not as helpful. The more specific you can get with what you would like your outcome to be, the better off you're, you're going to be in actually getting there and the better off your coach will be in helping you design a plan that's going to help you make that happen. A second piece of advice that Corey shared with us that I would love to stress in this introduction and hope you pay close attention to in listening to this episode is the fact that it's okay to be a beginner and we should learn to fall in love Love with being a beginner again. Corey realized that in his own life in being not even 18, 20 months, almost two years out of college, trying to navigate the quote unquote real world and realizing that he just really didn't know what his passion was. He couldn't figure out what lit him up to the same extent and intensity that swimming had, that the idea of being under the lights in a pool in a big race, competing in championship meets, relays, personal events, all that stuff. He couldn't recreate that feeling in his life now that swimming was no longer a part of the equation. And something he carried with that was the fact that he felt like he had to have everything figured out. I can totally attest to that. And I think it's a really important realization to have that sometimes we don't put enough emphasis on the basics and mastering the basics. So keeping in this theme of back into a school routine, back into your fall routine. I want you to ask yourself if you're equipped with the resources and tools that you need to really relearn and remaster those basics. It's the best time to hire a coach. It's the time that everyone uses as an excuse as to when they will hire a coach. So this is my announcement to you that if you're looking to start your health and wellness journey off on the right foot, would love to invite you into the Fitness Fix family and work with you and see if we're a great fit. So reach out to me via Instagram at the Krista Huber is the best way to get in touch. You can also head over to my website and fill out a little bit of information to set up your first call. That is the Fitness Fix. Remember, it's fix with a Y dot com. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. Before I finally pass the mic off to Corey, I got to give a shout out to today's sponsor for the show, which, as you know, is my friends over at Paleo Valley. I have been raving about their beef sticks, but as mentioned in other episodes in my live that I did on Instagram with one of the founders, Autumn Smith, not too long ago, they've got a line of a ton of great products. And one of those is one of their supplements that I've been using regularly over the past few months. And it's really cool. It's an apple cider vinegar supplement. And the reason why I love it is because I don't know about any of you out there, but the thought of taking a tablespoon or teaspoon of apple cider vinegar never really sits that well with me because it burns. It's not a pleasant experience, but it has a ton of benefits. So Paleo Valley has found a solution to that. 
Paleo Valley's apple cider vinegar complex is actually combined with a few other healing spices, including turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and lemon for added benefits for digestion. And apple cider vinegar not only supports digestion, but it's also really helpful in breaking down proteins, specifically the amino acids that actually make up proteins for better absorption of those nutrients. So if you're working on getting those strong lean muscles and you're increasing your protein intake, we want to actually make Make sure it's going where it needs to go in the body and apple cider vinegar can play a role in that. It also has been shown to improve blood sugar response to certain foods and certain triggers that can ultimately help somebody with their feelings of fullness or satiety as well as cravings. And one of the main ingredients that's in this exact complex, it's called acetic acid, and it specifically supports extracting the nutrients from our food that we use by the body to perform all the different functions that our amazing bodies do on a regular basis, kind of in the background as we're just living our lives on a day-to-day basis. So I'd encourage you guys, if you are ever struggling in the Department of Digestion, want to balance out that blood sugar a little bit. If you don't understand the importance of that, I'd love to give a plug to one of my other episodes from an interview I did not too long ago with Dr. Casey Means of levels health and understanding blood sugar and why it's important and why our metabolic health is so important to leading a healthy lifestyle. Way more of a deep dive on that in there. I will link that episode down in the show notes so you can get direct access to it. But check out the apple cider vinegar complex and you can get a little discount on your first order just by being a fix listener. So passing the awesome savings on to you guys, head over to paleovalley.com and enter code COACHKRISTA at checkout to save 15% on your first order. All right, I'm done. Let's pass it over to Corey for episode 35. Corey, welcome to The Fix. I'm so happy to finally have put this conversation on the calendar. I know we've been talking about it for a while. And first question, introduce yourself. Who is Corey Camp? But more specifically, why should we care about what you have to say? Oof, it's a great question. And uh, it's a question that I've been asking myself for years and years. I think it's something, honestly, we all struggle to come up with a good answer to find. And I don't know if there is a good answer. So here's my stab at it. Um, I am a creator and a connector at my core and why you should listen to me is that's my sole purpose in this world is trying to create things that connect us more as human beings. And I'm really on this crusade of doing that through the podcast that I host, the company that I run, the coaching that I do, or just having conversations like this. So we'll see how I do. Awesome. I love it. And I appreciate your authenticity and honesty in that. I've been pretty deliberate in trying to change up that question. You know, initially when Mm -hmm. I first started recording these episodes, I always was just like, tell us who you are. And the more I thought about that and thinking, how can I make my question slightly different? Or if a person's been interviewed often, how can we tweak it a little bit? That's really where that's come from. And it's cool because more and more now people that I'm interviewing today versus maybe have six months ago, the questions are, the responses to the questions are getting like a little bit deeper and a little more abstract. And I think that's great because it really directs the rest of the conversation. So I appreciate that. And we will also have you set up more background on what you do and we'll get into all of that too. But first tell me your go-to coffee. What do you like to sip on in the morning? 
But I say simple, I mean, today it's hot drip coffee that I made here. Um, but usually it's a cold brew of some sorts. The I'm benefits like of, fan. yeah, the benefits of California living, right? Like cold yeah. brews in season all the all time. The time. <laughs> have you found since moving out there? Have Do you have like a favorite spot that you want to shout out? Yeah, we'll shout out Little Lunch Coffee. They're pretty new. Uh, oh, that's such a cute name. Here. I know they're great uh, and they're getting food soon. So I'm excited to like start. It's a dangerous combo when like that $5 coffee gets starts to get paired with the $5 pastry and, but it's great. I love it. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. Well, to kick the rest of this conversation off, I want you to give us a little bit more background on your podcast, what coaching with you looks like, wherever you want to start in terms of what being a creator means to you. And what does that look like on a day-to-day basis for you as a coach and a business owner? Yeah. So, I mean, for context, I grew up a swimmer. Um, that was how I identified myself for the longest time. Uh, and that's something that you and I share. Um, yeah. So that started at like four years old and really was a continuation through SVM in college. So I'm at University of Delaware. Well, shout out Matt Daniel, a mutual friend of ours here. Yep. And and I told you my dad and my brother went to UD too, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So blue hands for life, baby. Yep. Um, I love it. And from there, you know, it's been quite a journey of trying to figure out what is that next step? What was that thing that lit me up like swimming did? I thought that that feeling that I got underneath the lights of swimming in a pool at finals was going to be something that I could never recreate. And really the past few years have just been me experimenting and trying new things and creating new things to recreate that feeling. And what I've found is that we can be very intentional with recreating that. So that is honestly the coaching that I do now is helping other people find that flow state and how we can trigger that more into more and more into our life. One of the ways I like to teach it is through obviously the athletic mindset podcast and similar to you of how your podcast has evolved from when it started to like where it is now it's so funny looking back at early episodes. It's very interview style. Just like, mm-hmm. this is the question. Give me an answer back and forth, not really diving deeper. And that's a conscious shift that I've tried to make as I've started to understand flow a little bit more, how connection works between people, how communication works. It's like, all right, cool. You can ask the surface level question, but if you really want to make a lasting impact on the person you're talking with's life and amplify that with the people that are listening we need to dig a little bit deeper so that's kind of a brief overview of what it looks like i guess on a day-to-day that's the focus and to break that down a little more i'd love to know and knowing your personal story let's share that with the listeners what kind of happened let's say post-grad right when swimming was no longer a part of the equation when did you first identify that that feeling that you deeply associated and rooted with swimming and those that performance of being in the pool and the meets right like yeah. that when did you realize that that was missing like how did that show up for you what were you feeling how did that look um man i think it it really so to for context like when i was at delaware i had a, a great accomplished career there um and it didn't end anywhere close to how I would like it to end or how most athletes want their career to end. Right. Like my last race ever was slower than I was in my junior year of high school. And it was also the worst place that I had ever finished in uh, the conference 
meet at the end of the year, which is like the only meet that actually matters in college swimming. So it's like a lot to process that. Um, I didn't want to process it. I tried to suppress that for a while. I blamed it on being burnt out. I blamed it on coaching. I didn't want to take responsibility for it. And I didn't want to sit with the feelings that I was feeling at that time. So compound that with, I also wanted to go to physical therapy school. And I just thought, you know, naturally I'm just going to get into the PT program at Delaware because I went there for undergrad. And I know a lot of the professors through my major. And that was a tough realization of swimming ended. I have these conversations with advisors and professors and they say, I don't even know if it's worth us writing you a letter of recommendation. Like we like you, but your GPA quite frankly is a two nine and that's not going to get into the top PT school in the nation. And I was like, Oh, um, okay. So for the first time in my life where it's tough when you have like everything kind of figured out for you up until that point, like as a, as an athlete, you're like, Oh, okay, cool. Like I'm just kind of climbing this ladder. I'm checking off boxes. Like the next step is, logically there if you want it to be if you want to and then all of a sudden college swimming is one of those ones where unless you're Michael Phelps or Ryan Lochte you're not playing professionally and making a a living off of it a sustainable living so it was like this that world came crashing down and then the next logical ladder step of PT school also came crashing down a few months later and that really put me in a, a dark place of like oh I don't know what to do. Um, I've always been looked at by other people and my perceived perception of other people looking at me was he's got it figured out. He knows what he's doing. And I quite frankly had no idea what I was doing at that time. I was grasping at all the wrong things. I took a sales job because it was the highest base salary um, that was available to me at that time. And I realized then as I was going through the motions there, I tried to recreate the feeling of swimming and like, let's strive to meet sales quotas and do this. And it just wasn't doing it for me at the level, at, at the depth that swimming was. So I had this opportunity where kind of out of the blue, I'm like six, seven months into this role of I'm refinancing mortgages which is like the furthest thing from what I ever imagined I would be doing. Wanting to go to physical therapy school. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I want to be active, hands-on, working with people, communicating with people. And here I am sitting in an office call center wearing a suit and tie every day. Like, this is not me at all. And I had this opportunity, this random family of a team that I used to coach emailed me and they said, Hey, I have no idea if you're still in the area, but our kids really liked working with you. We're wondering if you're available to teach them any swim lessons. And I was like, I live in Baltimore. This opportunity is down closer to DC. It's like a 45 minute drive. I don't know why, but I'm going to say yes. I just felt like intuitively, like I I needed to get back to my roots, my core a little bit. And in doing that, I mean, next thing I knew, I started teaching swim lessons on Sundays where I was starting at like 8 a.m. And I was going nonstop 20 minute windows for five to six hours straight. So I'm teaching like 20 plus lessons on a Sunday and I'm making a significant amount of income compared to my full-time job because of doing it at a country club. And I was like, huh, what if I just like 
really start to lean into this. I know on paper, it doesn't look like a step forward. It looks like a step backwards that I'm saying, I'm gonna leave a full-time job and just teach swim lessons. But at the same time I'm having that thought, they end up parting ways with their head coach for the summer team position there. And the my boss or the guy who would be in charge of hiring me mm-hmm. was like, oh man, it's a shame that you have this full-time job. And I looked at him and go, what have I told you that like, I hate my full-time job and that I would be totally okay with leaving it to just say yes to a two month job. And he was like, you would do that. I was like, yeah, why not? I feel, I feel called to do this. And that was really that first time. Once I said that I stepped away from that job and got back onto the pool deck where I started to get glimpses of flow again into my life of like, this just feels intuitively right. I should be here. Things are clicking. And ever since then, it's just been this sense of, all right, like whenever my intuition, my gut's telling me to do something, I just need to slow down enough to listen to it and take a second to just pause, process. What does this mean? Okay, great. Let's act on it. So when did you then make the connection or realization that, hey, if I, as a former collegiate athlete, and feeling this way, have been through these periods of feeling this sense of loss of identity, that there were probably other people who could relate. Was that coming up in conversations with friends because you still hung out with those people? Yeah. Because I assume that that was the next stepping stone in putting together your coaching practices for the, a lot of the people that you work with today. Yeah. Ironically, it didn't really stem from conversation with like former teammates from Delaware. At least. Okay. And I think a lot of that is because there is this you know, stigma around locker room, you know, like the locker room is great, but like, there's this level of like, Hey, don't bring everything into there. Like we're only going to talk about certain things and Mm -hmm. loss of identity and deeper conversation isn't really what, yeah. It's not really one of those things that you're just going to drop on someone pre-practice or reach out of the blue. And that's one of the things that I'm hoping to try to change. I think it's starting to change. Um, but it really started with starting the podcast and starting to have deeper conversations with people. I'll never forget. I had Tom Shields, who's an American record holder on like my fourth or fifth episode. And we're having this conversation and he's fully breaking down to me, like his struggles with suicide, depression, his feelings of like, he beyond being a swimmer, like he has no idea how he identifies in this world and what his role is and the ups, how he's handling the ups and downs of his career. And I was like, holy crap. Like if an American record holder is feeling this. And yeah, this is like he's achieved all the things that you thought were like the most exactly. desirable, right? Exactly, like the value should be there, right? The self-worth should be there. Mm-hmm. And yet it's not. And really that conversation has just kind of snowballed over the years, more and more athletes that I'm talking to current, former, they're feeling the same thing. We we're starting to see it more in the media, which I think is great with like the Naomi Osaka's and the Kyrie Irving's coming out and saying, Hey, look, like my value isn't determined by how I play on the court. You as a fan might think that, but this is what it's doing to my mental health, my mental well-being. And I think it's so powerful because I think if we if we have those conversations when we're in it, it's not going to be as profound and as great as a loss of identity and this crisis that 
comes up for so many of us when it ends, because we've started to think, you know, beyond this one box that we put ourselves in. So do you think what you just said about having the conversation sooner was what was missing for you? And where I'm going with this question is kind of, if you could go back and change something to have better prepared yourself for those feelings once you did graduate, yeah. once things didn't work out, what is there some type of training or something that people should be doing when you know sports are such a big part of their life because i know you and i can relate on this fact that with swimming especially if you want to perform at that high level yeah you're swimming all year round and this goes for any sport but most of the time we're also on two teams at once so even for me the reason why i found fitness and group coaching and group exercise was because i knew i was no longer interested in swimming in college and my thought process was like what am i going to do with all of that time because I would spend like four hours at the pool almost every day. Yeah. I always laugh. Like when you're first given that free time as an athlete, you're like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. yeah like it's just <laughs> such a freaking gift. I'm so excited. I can finally say yes to my friends that have been asking me to hang out. And, you know, after a while they stop asking you to hang yeah. out because mm -hmm. they just know the answers. No, I have some practice or you're like, oh, I can work out whenever um and then i think as you go through it it can if you don't find that thing quickly you start to get overwhelmed with oh my gosh like i don't know how to actually manage my time mm -hmm. people have told me for years that i'm great at time management but i'm realizing that's just because my coach told me when practice was i had an academic advisor who told me when and you know what classes to take the dining right. hall had certain hours and cool i get to manage five hours of my day that's no that's no problem the moment that opens up to you have 24 hours do with what you want it's like ooh, holy crap what do i do um but to answer your question i think looking back on it like what would i change it would just honestly start with encouraging spaces where these conversations can be had without bias so whether that is in a more formal setting of going to therapy and I started going to a therapist at Delaware my junior year um, for a multitude of reasons. And that was a, a big help, but I wish I looked at the value of that a little bit more. I only went to them when things were in like total crisis mode. And I felt like things were just like slipping through my fingers, uh, grabbing at sand or grabbing at water and not being able to get control. Whereas if it's a little bit more normalized now to have this level of conversation just with the people around you. I think those extreme moments would be fewer and farther between because we're just, we're riding an overall like more optimal mental health wave in that sense. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And I really identify with what you just said about going to therapy when things were in major crisis mode Yeah, because it showed up in my life in the same way. And just when I thought that I was making decisions based on the conversations I had with family members, therapists, whatever, that it was, and I was committing to those choices, I was like, okay, this is a good time for me to not continue to work with my therapist. And in hindsight, I should have leaned into that even more 
to get through the other side because I had no clue what else was going to come up by then making that decision. And and I, I think about that often. If I could go back and just change something, I wound up then picking up in intense amounts of therapy once all the dominoes kind of fell. But there were several months in between there where I truly believe if I was having those conversations that I had been having weekly for a few months, I would have caught what was going on from having just that outside person because it just got worse and worse and worse. And I kept trying to say, no, I have the tools. Like I, I I can get through this. And and I really couldn't. I was about to say, it's one thing to know the information and know the tools. It's a whole nother ballgame to actually to be applying them and getting feedback of how you're applying them. I mean, that's why I think life post sport can be such a challenge, right? You go from the structure of you have immediate feedback given to you, whether it's like through your own body, like proprioception of like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool. Like I didn't pull the right way there. That flip turn was off in the pool. Or you have a coach after a race being like, all right, Krista, like this is what you did really well. This is what you didn't do so well. Let's go back to the drawing board for the next time. All of a sudden that's taken out of the equation. And I think a lot of it is like our ego comes into play post-sport mm-hmm. where we're like, all right, dope. I was a great athlete. I'm going to be great at whatever. Yeah. And when your expectation doesn't meet your reality, that can lead to a lot of unhappiness and unrest. And the further those two are from one another, the more we're going to feel that. Um, so being okay with setting that ego aside to shift your expectations to, Hey, I might be a beginner again. Let me get excited about that. And that's kind of the shift that really helped me out a ton was, holy crap, it took me 18 years to peak at swimming. Why do I think I'm going to have all the answers figured out in eight months or 18 months? I know I'm in it for a longer journey than that. I think we all are. and We lose sight of that a lot because of a a lot of variables. But if we can put that aside, shift the expectations to let's just have freaking fun every single day. Like, let's enjoy this moment and if we can do that fully who knows what will happen 10 15 years from now that shows up so much in nutrition coaching too because the impatience of wanting to see results right away so you could i i think it's valid to describe it as enjoying the process falling in love with being a beginner again but also it's aside from the ego and and everything you just shared there it's going up against this idea of comparison other people getting results really quickly Uh, if we want to tie it back to kind of like life instances, it's the expectation that, oh, by 25, I should be doing this or by 27, I should have that. And then you feel like you can't measure up to that. You fall short. The same thing shows up on a day-to-day basis. That thought process I see with my clients when they're struggling. And so often it comes back to just being consistent. And if we tie that to swimming, like People who were the best swimmers on my team were the ones who were honestly in the pool the most. They may not have started as young per se, which I think comes with the fact of like, you don't necessarily keep those bad habits and somebody can kind of catch them. um, If you have a great coach and all that, but it's the people who really were putting in so much time in the pool and and not settling into just oh i'm i'm just going to practice like i'm just swimming laps like being intentional about how they felt yeah. in the water you know doing stroke clinics working with a a coach for all that kind of stuff like by the time i was getting to the end of high school 
uh, a lot of the top performing people on my team had a special stroke coach and it was kind of like if you weren't going to work with him you felt behind and you wanted to take advantage of that knowledge and some of the exercises that he was doing that we weren't incorporating into our practice where we were you know quote unquote just getting laps so I say all of that to say you know how does this now show up in your coaching in terms of you getting through all this like we laid yeah. out the challenges let's bring the listener into what can we do about yeah. this what's like, the solution no, yeah exactly and and how have you come to that and walk us kind of through the process of what that looks like yeah i love that's where you're going with it because i think yeah it's easy to to sit and we do this all the time as humans <laughs> right we like love to share and commensurate in our misery of like this is so yeah. hard like don't you understand and then we're like, all right, cool. But like, how do we get out of that? And that's kind of the challenge with this work in particular, in the sense of, I mean, if we're talking mindset coaching and really starting to get to know yourself and personal growth, it actually gets a little harder at the beginning than most people think. Like it's going to get harder before it gets better because we're cultivating such a level of self-awareness around these issues. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, I didn't And see encouraging that. change. And our, our physiology does everything to run away from change. We're literally biologically wired to prefer what's familiar because it feels safe. Exactly. One of the best analogies I like to, a picture that I like to paint for people is like, we are an ice cube. We're all ice cubes to varying degrees, depending on how, you know, how stuck in our old ways we are. But an ice cube is very rigid, right? It's very one dimensional. It's not really free flowing, obviously. It's staying a lot in place. And that can be great up to a certain point, but the function of it is kind of, is very limited. We have an opportunity when we're talking about mindset coaching or getting out of our comfort zone and growing to melt away a little bit of that layer of that ice cube. And when we do so, we expand and we're able to fill more space. And we're able to we're able to flow a little bit more freely into these different areas of our life. So yes, it's uncomfortable, obviously, to melt a little bit at Yeah, first. I love that. And we can go through varying degrees of how, how much do we want to turn up that temperature? And that's going to be dependent on the person, right? Like we all have different risk tolerances. Like, with my story last year, ending up deciding to leave a you know high paying job and go, I'm going to host a podcast and do this coaching thing full time with no proof of concept and no clients paying me. That was a pretty you know big jump, yeah. and that's not going to be the jump for everyone. But that was where I was currently at, and I knew that's what I needed to do. So I say all that to say, when we can develop self awareness around where is our current comfort zone how can we learn you know one take one daily intentional action to start to expand that and that when we focus on that one thing and i love that's what you brought up earlier with intention right like the difference between the people that are consistent there's one thing to go consistently just go through the motions and those are going to be the people that are the most frustrated in life because they're like i'm showing up Corey. i, I don't get it I'm, I'm eating the food that Chris is telling me to, to eat and I'm just not getting the results. I don't get it. And it's like, no, you're getting it at the surface level. Let's take it a step back or a step further. And we're going to look at it from its core. Like, what is the intention behind this? Like what the people that understand their why behind going on a diet or making a change are going to be the ones that 
better actually make that change and keep it as a sustainable one in the long run. So taking a second to pause, looking at why you're doing it, and then setting a daily intention from there. So, and then you can start to build on that, right? Like now, for example, when I do podcast interviews, I'm very clear on, okay, I'm going to take five minutes before and I'm going to set an intention. And that's going to be my sole focus for when I pop on to, whether it's I'm getting interviewed or I'm interviewing someone else. And before popping on here, it was like, all right, cool. Let me just write down in my journal intention. I want to share my story and I want to provide value and hopefully impact one person on the other side, even if that's just you listening here. (laughs) And And I love what's awesome about podcasting in particular too, and being able to do that. It's, it forces you to fully focus on the conversation as it's happening. Like I put my phone in do not disturb, my computers in do not disturb. And selfishly, it's been so great for me because I have learned so much more and I get it twice because I then go back and listen and I talk to a lot of other people who host podcasts and they're like, wow, I can't believe you make the time to do that. And I don't mean to judge and say, oh, I'm doing this better than you. But honestly, I get a lot more out of this because I am carving out that time, even if it's taking away from me doing something else. And honestly, I'll do it while I'm going for a walk. And it's great. It gets me moving. I try to just kind of use it as a way to unplug. And every single time I pick up so many other things from the conversation that I didn't notice by being in it and really trying to focus on like, okay, what's the next question going to be? I can sometimes miss the value that you're sharing. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, I mean, it's no different than a book we read. Like The Alchemist is a perfect example, right? Like you could read The Alchemist in high school when they tell you to, and you'll get something out of it. Awesome, great. But if you read The Alchemist now in your mid-20s or in your 30s, I guarantee you, you're going to find a, a few gems in there that you're like, oh, I never never thought of that. Or um, I was having a conversation yesterday with a friend who just went uh, with his girlfriend to Disney World. And he was like, I hadn't been since I was 14. And it like, I just had this deeper appreciation of like what Disney is and the production that goes into the yeah, thing that we're that's seeing. So interesting. That's such a good point. Yeah. It's like, I mean, now I watch back like movies like Toy Story. I'm like, oh my gosh, like they have some really funny adult humor in here. Like yeah. I never, I never <laughs> picked up with that as a kid, right. but there's, there's beauty in going back to these old stories. Cause you start to see something that wasn't there before. And that's honestly what has helped me so much in my personal journey. And what I encourage people to do always, when I work with someone, I say, hey, we're going to take like two hours, three hours, whatever it may be. I want you to write out your story. How did you get to this point in time? And just write it from memory, write it from however you see it. And then we'll start to look at the themes of your life up until this point. And we can start to look at what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And in doing so, it's like, oh man, I can write that now. And I encourage people out there to do this like yearly, like do a yearly audit of your story, write it down. And each time you're going to be like, holy crap. When I was in it, I viewed it as this, but now with perspective and a little bit of distance, I'm realizing that was the best thing that ever happened to me. That's what I realized now with like the way swimming ended for me and the PT stuff not working out. I'm totally content with that now. In the moment, it was the hardest thing ever to be going through. But now I'm like, oh, shoot, if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be sitting here right now. And I'm grateful for that. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think the perspective piece too, and, and your suggestions of doing this on a yearly basis, the next question that's coming up for me is obviously a lot of this conversation is focused around struggling with identity. But once we kind of unlock that and then get into our flow state, talk to me about what types of changes your clientele are then able to make in their life. Like things that I would think of would be like, maybe they figure out the right career move for them or something like that. So show me to put the perspective on the positive. Tell me about some of those changes that they're able to see for themselves more clearly. Yeah. So when we're more able they're more consistently able to get into flow and flow is going to be, we have to look at it as this continuum, right? Like you can have doses of micro flow, which we get when we're just answering a few emails, we get a little roll going there, mm-hmm. or we, you know, time warps a little bit, or we have, we're probably more familiar as athletes with the macro flow feeling of like, that was my best race ever. It was, it went totally perfect. And I have no idea what went through my head during it. I totally blacked out. Like that's macro flow. And that's really like that feeling that we're trying to chase after again. And the more we start to understand, like we can get into micro flow, honestly, seven to eight times a day. And the more consistently we get into micro flow, the more consistently we're able to start getting into these bigger um, flow periods and longer lasting flow periods. So A lot of the results that we see with the people that I'm working with is increased productivity in the sense of it's taking that workaholic and actually having them work less and getting better results. And as athletes, that's one of the hardest things to like unwire subconsciously because we're like, no, I need to spend more time. More, more, more. Yeah. I even said it earlier in thinking about the athletes that were the most successful. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, what if we look now instead of how can we maximize the time that we have Mm -hmm. you and I can't create more than 24 hours in a day as much as we wish we could we can't so we have to be able to make the most of each moment and that can look from ways of all right let's really be intentional with this moment and get something done or let's be intentional in this moment of let's just see what happens like let's just roll with it like the last hour leading up to this I was like all right I had an hour for my client to now, what am I going to do with that? And in my, my brain, it was like, oh, I need to like answer emails. I need to do this. And I'm like, huh, nah, that doesn't sound, that doesn't feel right. I'm going to show up drained. I'm not going to be able to, to provide at the level that I want to on here. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to like slowly make my coffee today. Like I'm going to grind the beans fresh. I'm going to boil the kettle, you know, the water on the stove. I'm going to do some drip coffee and just not even listen to music, like just get into my head. I'm going to take a, a few minutes to journal and like write and just be very intentional with it. Um, so that's one of the things we see when we're able to take that step back, we're able to get into flow a little bit more. Another thing that we see is creativity increases tenfold. So I'm working with a lot of former athletes turned entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think a lot of coaches out there in the space struggle with is the creativity aspect. They're like, all right, cool. I just want to coach. I don't want to show up on social media. I don't want to create content. I just want to coach because people ask me that all the time. And I feel really grateful, like for as much as it seems a very odd path to have gone from this idea that I would be a journalist who was an anchor on TV. Like that was what I was set out to do. I'm so glad I majored in that because I, I feel like I have that ability nailed down 
Mm. And where I need it to like catch up, for example, is more in like the science and the education piece that I know I can. But then my struggle becomes like, I don't love doing that part as much. So I have to be really intentional about putting it on my schedule and committing to doing it. Cause I'll be yeah. the person who can like get onto Canva and I'll be in there all day long, but that can be a little bit of a curse in a lot of ways too, you know? <laughs> I was about to say, you have to kind of set some boundaries. Into yeah, it, um, exactly. There. Cause yeah, you can go into that rabbit hole. Um, and it's easy to, you mm -hmm. know, but what was really interesting, I was having this conversation, bringing it back to Disney, actually, uh, with a friend of mine who is in the uh, content creation space, like okay. solely a content creator, which okay. obviously growing up, you and I are like, that's a job, like that's a job yeah, now. And now, now this is. is, this is what like 12 year olds are aspiring to be, right? You ask them, what do you want to be? And you grow up, I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a content creator. Yeah, which is so interesting to think about. What, what's crazy is there's there's been content creators for years and years. Mm -hmm. Walt Disney, I think, was one of the biggest pioneers in content creation. Disney is built off of the movies and the experience that we got going yeah. to the movies and seeing Disney. Like we knew if Disney produced a movie, it didn't matter what princess it was. It didn't matter what, you it know. It was going to be good. Or, yeah. yeah, it was going to be a great movie. And then everything built from there, right? The parks came, the uh, you know at-home DVDs. Now you can experience the content at home. And it was like, oh crap. It all stemmed from creating great content. No one's going to the park if the content isn't great. You know what I mean? Right, because, like how could you warrant spending billions of dollars yeah. on that type of, I don't even know what to call it. Like it's like this massive, entertainment center right like this a massive amusement park like how could you justify that unless you knew that the content was driving people to go there yeah and even what's even fascinating even more fascinating to me like looking at disney's like park model right they have someone full-time that is responsible for scoring the music in each part of the park so that subconsciously it's sending you know, it's triggering mm -hmm. certain things in our brains that are bringing feelings of nostalgia back, or, you know, it's being played at certain frequencies that you really get us in this trance of like, oh, I want to, I'm going to lose track of time here. I'm going to spend more time in the park and more time in the park always pretty much means more money is being spent on yep. concessions, gifts, you name it. So they're very smart with how they set up everything. And I think that's something we can all as content creators and coaches take away, it's like, look, if we focus on good quality content and the experience and focus on how are, how's that person that interacts with what we put out there going to feel when they leave, then the more we can magnify that feeling, that's going to be our number one person that's going to then buy into the higher ticket thing or whatever that may be um, down the road. So, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. No, <laughs> I think that's that was great. That's such a, a a great example that everyone can relate to as well, yeah. right? Like everybody's been touched by Disney in some capacity in their life. And to have seen that evolve too. And even just hearing like, you know, having worked in um, a boutique fitness studio that was very targeted towards moms, they would always talk about when they were taking their kids to Disney for the first time yeah. and compare it to what the experience was like when they were young, when they were kids. And even just 
having seen it evolve from when we were and talking about like the passes and what you get in the mail and it's all super, super intentional. And, and they're usually being like, and I'm spending all this money on this. I don't know why. And then they go and their kids have the best time ever. And they're like, that was worth every penny. Yeah, so, exactly. It's, point. it's, and look, it's why Disney's able to sell at the level that they have and operate at the level that they have for all these years. Right. And that's kind of the unique challenge that we now face as solopreneur coaches. Sure. To stay relevant. Is, right. Yeah. Like how, how can we produce that? feeling in people and that's that's my goal with helping people feel more flow is i want them to walk away being like i don't know like there's there's no i don't guarantee any financial like roi on Mm -hmm. investment at all but what's crazy is i see it time and time again where people are making more money in their jobs but what i see and what i think is even more impactful more often is they're more fulfilled in their relationships with the people around them. Like they're able to be fully present with the people that love them. And, you know, they're able to actually have this shift of like one of the guys I'm working with his, when we first started, his family situation was like total chaos. Like he was picking up his daughter and taking her to the lacrosse field when she should have been at the soccer field because his brain was so scattered on start. He's a founder of a, a company. He's a CEO. Like his brain is so much at work Focused all the on time that. Yeah. that it was, it was failing him in these areas that really matter more in mm-hmm. our lives. We're not going to remember how much money we made or how much time we spent on social media at the end of the day when you know our time comes in this world we're going to be our best memories are going to be the relationships with the people and the time that we spent with the loved ones and those closest to us so if we can actually shift our focus to let's improve the quality of our relationship i promise you those other two areas they take care of themselves you know what i mean we start to make more money we start to show up as a better leader as a company because we're just happy. We're not on edge all the time. We're not letting little things carry over and become big things because we have places where we can set them down when they're small and be like, Hey, awesome. This happened to me. No biggie, or it is a biggie. And I'm going to talk it out with someone. And then I'm going to move on to that next thing. There's a release involved. Whereas a lot of us just don't take that time to release things. That's very practical perspective and a great reminder for myself too, because I, I often catch myself lately, you know, with it being summer and now finally the world is open back up. People want to go out more. I will play this game with myself that I start to feel guilty that I'm taking the time to take a break because I don't have certain things in my business where I want to be. And that's totally unhealthy. And I'm saying out loud to call myself out, but also to wrecking like to if anybody's listening to be like, if you feel that way in any capacity in your work or whatever it is that you're doing, like you're allowed to take a break. And for me, it even showed up in affecting my health and yeah. and and my ability to make time for myself to exercise to the point where I wasn't even practicing what I preached. So it, it turned into that total chaos that you were describing. Like everything just started to be out of whack. And honestly, I found myself being more critical over the work that I was doing that I, I knew I should be happy with too. Yeah. It just kept feeling like this is not enough. This isn't working. That isn't working. And then you carry this just heavy weight of negativity all the time. That's not doing you any favors. Yeah. And what you just described there, right, is this feedback loop 
mm-hmm. in that sense, a negative feedback loop that's going to spiral and spiral and spiral. And then you, the further along you get there, especially in the like health and nutrition space, right? Like when your own health and nutrition isn't a priority, then you start to feel this imposter syndrome totally. really come into place where you're like, holy crap, I'm coaching other people, but I, I'm not even eating right. And I'm not even, I'm not even working out today because I'm so focused on helping other people do the same. That's why I always challenge people to identify their non-negotiables. And really when we're talking peak performance or flow, we got four of them. We got sleep, we got daily gratitude practice, we got daily mindfulness practice, and we have exercise of some sort. And exercise is going to be, that's a very broad one. You know what I mean? I think a lot of athletes struggle uh, in that transition because they, their original concept of exercise is a two hour workout, Mm -hmm. at least minimum. If it's not, if you're not pouring buckets of sweat, you know, out afterwards, it wasn't a workout. That's BS. You can get the same benefits from a 30 minute walk. You know, if that's all you got time for, awesome. We can further dissect that. But those are your four non-negotiables, right? Of peak performance. What I challenge people to do is reverse engineer their schedule around that. So put in your calendar sleep, seven to eight hours, put that in there. And I, I, I like to put it as a reoccurring event nightly mm-hmm. or daily, you know what I mean? So it can slide. So if I have something that comes up on my social calendar, that's going to, you know, I have to go to, or I get to go to dinner with some friends that are visiting. Awesome. I just shift back a little bit, you know, okay, now I'm going to bed an hour later. Awesome. No biggie. It's, it's not a habit. It's just this one-off scenario. Same thing with the gratitude practice, finding a time in your day where that works whether that is in the morning, whether that's in the evening, it's up to you. Then mindfulness practice. I think mindfulness gets a a really hippie rap. You know what I mean? Of like, oh, he he says mindfulness. He means I I need to sit under a tree, listen to Mm -hmm. birds and like sit in the Zen Buddha monk position and close my eyes and say my ohms. It's like, no, that's, that's one form of it. Awesome. But like, what if going out for a walk with no headphones and no music? Or even what you did this morning and talking about your coffee. Exactly. And you're actually the second person that I've had on the show recently who has mentioned as a form of meditation, it's being present in the moment and really paying attention to what you're doing. And he also shared making a cup of coffee as his example. Yeah, it's mindfulness is just this ability to appreciate the little moments, the little things that we would overlook. And in a world that is getting increasingly loud, increasing distractions, that can be harder and harder to do. So being intentional of it, whether it's something as simple as putting your phone in airplane mode for, mm-hmm. you know, 30 minutes or not checking your phone for the first few hours of your day in the last few hours, easier said than done, right? And then exercise, you know, same deal. Put that where it makes sense to you. The better you understand who you are as a person and how you function, we all have different chronotypes. So for me, and I think a lot of swimmers, this resonates, like we're the early bird. Like we love to get up and get after it. Right. So understanding that it's like, all right, I operate best when movement is done earlier, earlier in the day, the later in the day it gets, like if I'm pushing my workout until 5 PM after my work day, I'm dragging through the workout. The quality of the workout isn't what I would like it to be. And honestly, I'm just not feeling motivated. I have a level of discipline, yes, that it will get done now. But for those people that are struggling with discipline, it's like, why are you fighting against who you are as a person? How sure. you're genetically wired. Like, 
play yeah, into your lead strengths. Into that, maximize that. And there's actually even, um, I don't know if you have ever listened to any of um, podcast interviews she's been on or read any, read any of her books, but Dr. Caroline Leaf talks a lot about with studying the brain, how even going into that workout and if there's any part of you that sends a message to your brain that says, oh, this workout isn't going to be good or I'm not feeling yeah. this, it's automatically not going to be like you are that hardwired to then believe that. And in a lot of ways, you're not reaping the total benefit of getting that exercise in that would have been better for you at a different point in the day when you could really have that positive attitude about it. Yeah, your mindset going into things, really anything, but especially in we're talking physical workouts, directly impacts the physiological benefits mm -hmm. that you're going to be able yeah. to see, uh, which I, I love that you just brought that up because that, that was something that I really nerded out on over this past weekend. Actually, I was like, oh, nice. Crap. Like this is this is a crazy phenomenon. Um, and that's why I love I've loved using things like a whoop or a tracker of some sort just to see all right, like what, what am I getting? Like, what is the longer term trends here? And mm -hmm. I actually partnered with whoop so that I can provide it to the clients that I work with so that we can kind of keep another layer of accountability and see, all right, like what's the actual trends of the data here? Because to yeah. your point, it's, it's tough to measure how much flow we're feeling in our life. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like, oh, I spent $200 and I got a t-shirt, a hoodie and a hat. It's like, I spent X amount of dollars and I got more fulfilled relationships. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't yeah, get that. Yeah, it's so abstract. But if I can, sh yeah, but if I can show you like, because of the more fulfilled relationships, your resting heart rate and your HRV is in a much healthier zone than it was prior to doing this kind of work. And your respiratory rate is, you know, in a better zone. And then overall your quality of sleep on a night to night basis is trending in the right direction. That becomes a lot more tangible, right? And we all want more energy. We all want more focus. We all want to be as efficient as possible in the things that we're doing. And that's I think that's one of the it. really great things about this movement towards capturing all this additional data. I recently dropped an episode with um, a new emerging healthcare tech company um, called Levels that's focused on metabolic health and have been wearing a continuous glucose monitor in a part of the experience of partnering with them and then having an interview with one of their co-founders and their chief medical officer. And the coolest part about it is that the idea of wearing the CGM, first of all, the fact that it's like an internal marker that you can do at home, even relative to something like the Whoop, makes it really cool. Yeah. And second, it's more so to be able to look at what activity and foods drive certain results, right? So like the biggest takeaway that I've gotten from it is my stress response to things when I'm rushing and how that spikes my blood sugar. And it's something that I would have overlooked before because I didn't know that that was going on. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel like, you know, shaky or like experiencing like this like hypoglycemia like situation. Yeah. I, I didn't feel that in the moment. But now I have this piece of information to literally look at this chart going up and then coming back down 
And what, what can I do with that? As um, Dr. Casey shared with me in her interview, she said like health is not happening in the doctor's office. It's all of these micro decisions that we are making constantly throughout the day. So I, I think that's an awesome thing. And I think it's a really important reminder to people to not be afraid of getting focus on the data because it's trying to tell us something so long as we can sort of zoom out. That's the the caveat that I have a lot with yeah. my clients. Like I see it often in stepping on the scale and, and a lot of the psychological that's associated with that. But I try to tell them like, we're putting this into a big spreadsheet coupled with tracking your macronutrients and your food intake, looking at food quality, looking at sleep, looking at energy levels, looking at digestion, and then please, when you enter all of that information into this spreadsheet, don't just ship it off to me and not think about it. Like, look yeah. at it. Look at it. literally calculates the trends for you. But I want you to be present and observe what they are so that you can then understand why I'm telling you that you're seeing a lot of success, even if you think you're not. Or how can we can make certain changes based on the biofeedback we're getting. Yeah. And I'm a huge biofeedback tracker and component of it. I mean... We talked earlier, right? One of the problems life post sport is we don't have that feedback. Yeah, those measures at, at the same rate. Yet now we're discovering ways that we can introduce that and why it's a struggle, right? Unambiguous feedback is a flow trigger. And there's there's 22 of them. And I know we've kind of tapped on a, a, a couple of them here throughout, but unambiguous feedback is needed for flow. And it's present when we are in flow state. And that what okay. that means is we either are getting that feedback ourselves in real time or code, someone externally is providing it to us. We're able to course correct in the moment. I would take it a step further and understanding that feedback is it's neutral. It's neither good or bad. It's just mm -hmm. a direction marker of like, all right, cool. Like you've been doing this. This is the results. Awesome. Do we keep doing more of that and keep going down that path or do we course correct and try something a little bit new? We get so caught up in the feedback and that result defining us in that moment. The scale is the perfect example of it. Perfect That's why that, it's a psychological mind fuck for people because they step on there and they're like, oh my God, I am 174 pounds. What the hell am I? You know, like that's not what I should be. And it's like, wait a second, why? Based like, on what? Like that's yeah, such exactly. a relative question. <laughs> it's like, what? Like I've, I felt more like me at what, you know, at heavier weights mm -hmm. and I felt less like me at lighter weights. Like, I don't know. Like we all have this intuitive, this internal weight that we're going to be like pushing for. And it's like, how can we get there? It's through feedback and it's detaching from that need of the feedback to define us. It's just, it's literally just, hey, cool. Like, this is where you're at right now. Awesome. You want to keep going that route or do you want to change? Don't get attached to it either way. And what are some of those other, the other 22 of the 22 you mentioned, you said you mentioned a few. What are some of those other triggers that we can kind of look out for if somebody's listening to this? Like, yeah. And they're getting into the practice of maybe they, they want to start collecting their own feedback and observing themselves. What should they be looking for? And do you have any suggestions on like, should they keep a journal? How should they start recording this? Yeah. Clear goals is, an, is a great one. That's usually the number one, right? The more clarity we have of where we're actually going, the better we're going to be able to get there. So taking a second to get clear on your goals is phenomenal. And then being able to like reverse engineer those goals into 
all right, like what is a daily actionable step? Mm-hmm. It's one of the things that I think a lot of creators struggle with, right? We have this giant vision of what we want to create and we then lose sight of like this present moment, but flow only exists when we're completely focused. Like, and that's complete concentration is another trigger, right? So we leave the distractions at the door or locked in here. We've again, another one that we hit on, right? Then there's, you know, curiosity leading to passion, leading to purpose. We get those all mixed up, right? We think we're so in search of that purpose. That's we run around like chickens with our head cut off looking Mm -hmm. for our purpose in life. Instead, we focus on curiosity and then that curiosity can build into something that we're passionate about. And then we understand like, oh, it's purpose. Like from there, it's a continuum there. So for example, understanding like, oh, I was curious about getting back into swim coaching. Then I became curious about fitness. Then I got curious about my nutrition. Then I got curious about my own mental well-being and more of the flow state and all that. And then I was able to blend a lot of those into what I do now. And that became something I'm really passionate about. And then, you know, as that's evolving, I'm getting more clarity of what is my actual purpose. But it's it's not like going all in on just one of those and sure. like, this is it, this is the purpose. Um, and then what's really unique too, those are just some of the like individual ones. We can experience group flow as well. We see it all the time when in sports in particular, right? Like you have this team that on paper shouldn't win, but somehow they just have this like weird aura about them that mm-hmm. like they're the team of destiny. They're gonna, they're gonna win it no matter what. Um, I'm a Nats fan and I that's exactly how I felt with their run towards a World Series title a few years back. It was like everyone was counting them off, but something was just about them. And it was because they were able to create their environment that you know allowed them to get into flow more consistently. Again, shared vision is a, is a long one to do that. So shared goals if you're in a team setting. Um, and then uh, complete open like listening, deep listening, active listening is a, a great trigger in the group setting. So when you're interacting with other people like this, being totally engulfed in the conversation rather than, all right, Corey's got some cool points, but like I got laundry to do. I got sure. this, that I, you know, and I, that's not going to elicit a group flow. So if you want to get a collective elevated group experience, definitely deep listening. Last one I'll share uh, without like drowning on and on about these. No, these are great. A blending of ego. So we see it a lot of times. I like to paint the picture of a symphony, right? An orchestra. So the greatest orchestras in the world, there's a blending of egos that occurs. The, you know, violinist, isn't worried about, you know, being the best player there. He's worried about how does his sound play in and elevate the overall sound of the rest of the the orchestra. And when that happens and everyone buys into that, we get this beautiful music, this magical moment that occurs that wouldn't have been able to exist if they were so worried about just like outperforming those around them. So those are just some of the ways that we can individually get into flow and then collectively in groups get into flow. 
And as a follow-up question to the the group piece, I'm interested in that to tie it back to the example you were providing earlier about focusing in on relationships and improving yeah. relationships. Are those connected in the sense that, let's say somebody is coming to you, we'll use your example of the client you were mentioning earlier who he started this company and, and a lot of the chaos in his life is showing up in, his, in the personal situations, right? Yeah. So is the coaching that you're walking th- with him through an intention to kind of like create that group flow among his family. Is that how that shows up? Even if he may be working alone and I'm sure he has employees and that sort of thing, but let's say we were talking about a solopreneur. Yeah. I was about to say it it shows up. I mean, I would argue like, are we all, are we really solopreneurs? Like, yes, we might be, you know, running, calling the shots of our company, but I mean, especially in a service-based industry, like coaching, you're interacting with people all the time. Mm-hmm. The, the better you can understand group flow and introduce that into your either so like one-on-one coaching sessions or group coaching sessions, like a, a group fitness concept that understands that really well, that's going to be the soul cycles of the world that mm-hmm. are able to totally take the, an industry by storm and, you know, turn it on its head. And all of a sudden now they have this like cult like following, right? Because yeah. everyone's bought into how they feel. So even though, yes, we're working on it kind of with him, it's setting that intention of like, hey, look, we need to have open communication in all areas. That's another group flow trigger, right? If we're able to be open and honest fully, like be as fully transparent, as fully vulnerable as you see fit with those around you, everyone rises to the occasion. It's not because the moment we go into a coach, like if we go into a coaching session and you're coaching me and I'm like, all right, I know I've not been eating clean. Like I had ice cream last night. I freaking loved it. But I feel a level of like resentment towards that. And I, I don't want to share that with you. I didn't, I didn't put it in my food log. I didn't track it. Something's going to be, there's going to be a disconnect there. Yeah. And, and I can't help you. Because exactly. it's not giving me the opportunity to give you the permission to be like, hey, you want to have ice cream every night? Let me show you how you can have ice cream every night. Right? Exactly. And that's what I love. That's what I love about your approach. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, that's an example, right? Where I'm showing him and we're walking through different ways of how can he be very open and clear with his expectations of those around him. So a lot of athletes former ones especially especially the higher level that they competed at they struggle to connect with non-athletes i know i fall into this category right because there's this level of expectation when you come from a high performing team Mm -hmm. and then you're thrown into the real world so to speak yeah especially being in college and like your schedule so different you're also like even treated differently depending on the level that you're at in terms of are you getting support from like study halls or like, when are you eating? Like you, you're really isolated with your team at a lot of times. Cause that's your sole focus. And you don't necessarily have the same experience that other people did. Yeah. And then when you come from that bubble, right, that, that helps create unrealistic expectations okay. sometimes for those around us. Sure. So if we're, if we're not clear on communicating our expectations of anyone around us, whether that's just, Hey, what is the expectation here on this podcast recording? Or what's that expectation with a significant other, with a, with a coworker, with a boss, the clearer you can get on those expectations. And again, then your expectations meet your reality, the better that relationship's going to be, the more productive that's going to be. 
the more on the same page we are, again, shared vision and goals is going to lead you to more flow as a group. So yeah, it is, it's working individually with them, but it's showing up with a ripple effect to those around him. And that's kind of the cool part about it is yes, we can work with just one person, but it ripples to everyone that they're impacting and interacting with around them. And what kind of guidance do you provide people in those situations of if they struggle with communicating their expectations? Because I think that's usually the hurdle is people don't, even yeah. if it's someone that they care about so much, they have a deep connection to them, strong relationship with them, however you want to describe it, there's something going on that is kind of blocking them from knowing where to start and, and they feel uncomfortable and they sh might shy away from it or they try to express it in ways that aren't productive. Yeah, understanding, helping them better understand themselves of like, how should they express it? And we all have different love languages, right? Mm -hmm. So understanding your love language might be different than your significant other. And the better you can get on that same page, awesome. And then it's also this like understanding or creating spaces that allow for this to happen. You're not gonna just randomly walk into the office one day and be like, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Cause your, co your coworker is gonna be like, whoa, dude. Whoa. Like, I he just unloaded on that. me. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't come at me with this bad energy. Like mm -hmm. leave that be. So creating spaces where that intention can be set. Um, and this will probably be, this will definitely be released after I do it. So I can share it fully. Like this Saturday, I'm doing a mental health social experiment at Little Lunch Coffee cool. here in LA. And the experiment is going to be everyone that comes is going to get a number one through, we're looking at probably 20 to 25 people attending. Okay. And what we're looking at is how can we foster deeper relationships among total strangers or people that have already kind of knew each other, whether they're already friends or they're just kind of acquaintances. And the goal is to have everyone leave there having connected with at least one other person whether on a deeper level, whether that's a new person or something they already knew. And the way we're going to do it is everyone gets that number. I'm going to lead it off. And we're creating a space, an intimate setting. It's we're very intentional with how we set it up, the music that's going to be playing, the configuration of the room. People cool. are going to be in couches, chairs, beanbags, you name Comfortable. it. Comfortable. Comfortable, right? It's this intimate setting. And we're going to, the only question, the only thing we're exploring is what is something that you're currently struggling with or have struggled with in the past and share with it as much as you would like with the group. Um, and I'll lead it, I'll obviously lead it off to, set the example of like, hey, this is something that I've been dealing with. And the hope is, the experiment portion is, how many of the 20 to 25 people will share? And at what level will they share? Okay. You know what I mean? I think the people that already know me are gonna be way more likely to share a little bit deeper sure. thought than someone just be like, yeah, I've been struggling to, to stay consistent with my workouts. It's like, okay, cool. Um, I can maybe help you there or if we can take it a few steps further, you know what I mean? And that's, that's the experiment part. We'll see kind of how it goes. I have some hypotheses, but nice. Yeah. Well, you're going to have to circle back with me because I'm really curious about that. And it's interesting that you're exploring that because I've actually had multiple conversations with friends or in, in podcast episodes with various people recently talking about how we're really tired of having very surface level conversations yeah. with people, especially when you meet them for the first time and figuring out a way that's like 
appropriate, I guess, or like expected that someone else feels comfortable with to just like dive right into some of those deeper questions because of your example, you were saying like, you're not just going to unload on your coworker like that. Um, how do we construct yeah. those environments to be able to make that happen? And then ultimately develop these more meaningful relationships that feel more fulfilling as a word that you've used frequently throughout this chat. Yeah. You're not going to go on a first date and be like, so like, this is my expectation of this. <laughs> right. Like I'm going to have, we're going to have four kids. We're going to live here. <laughs> this is what the house is going to look like. We're definitely going to have a pool in the backyard. Like, yeah, it's flirting with that line of like, all right, how can I be open and honest and transparent without scaring away the other person <laughs> yeah, and exactly. overwhelming them? Um, and you know, I, I encourage people like the only thing I'm going to say is like share what you're struggling with and just share with whatever intuitively comes up on your heart because that's going to be what's meant to be shared in that moment. Whether that's something really deep, whether it's not, um, we don't do a good enough job, I think, of just listening to that that comes up. And if we, like think of how freeing it would be if you meet someone for the first time and you're totally head over heels attracted to them, but you have no idea what to say. So you fumble Oh, through your brain of like, let's, let's find the perfect pickup line to start this conversation. And you just first crazy weather we're having. And they're like, huh? Like what? And it's like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that was the first <laughs> thing that came to my head. But instead, what if we were just fully honest and saying, Hey, I don't really know what to say to you, but I would love to, you know, have a conversation. I just feel called to have that with you. And it's like, huh, I'm sure, like, I know if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, oh, that's a new pickup line. I've never heard right. that before. Oh, you've piqued my interest. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Like, let's at least, you've kind of put your foot in the door. You've opened it a little bit. And from there, it's like, you've, and you've set the groundwork to be, all right, you're, you're an honest person. And to me, I mean, this is kind of what I've seen. To me, that's the most attractive thing in this world is someone who is able to just be authentically them. And they're not afraid to do that regardless of the setting. Yeah, and um, it exudes so much confidence too. And I think that's what makes it attractive. Yeah, exactly. So who knew this was going to lead to some relationship advice? Some, yeah, end, exactly. But... <laughs> if anybody needs a relationship advice, I don't know. Don't take it from me <laughs> per se. But I am very open about my relationship experiences. So maybe that's working for me. But Corey... Go. I want to be respectful of your time and I so appreciate this conversation. I got so much out of it. I definitely would love to have you back on the show another time to continue to expand on a lot of these topics. And I'm just really impressed by all the things you're doing impressed by your decision to take all these big leaps and, and, you know, going back to your ice cube example, like maybe you have your, your aversion to risk is not quite as intense and you're like, I'm just going to go for it. And, and I really respect that about you because I think that's a way to help people figure out what, what do you actually want out of your life and take comfort in if, well, that doesn't work out something else will and and practicing that mindset to be able to get there and fully believe that and keyword is practicing because it takes work and I think that's definitely comes through in the coaching that you do yeah. so before we let you go let's move into a fun little lightning round ready I appreciate right. you for that by the way of course thank of you. course well thank you for coming on and sharing all of this too Let's see. Let's start with swimming stuff because we we talked about it. We know that's something that we bond over. Um, yeah. What is the number one thing you do not miss about swimming at all? 
Because we talked a lot about like your identity piece and what you did miss. What's like a random, you know, something that you and I can both relate to or other swimmers listening to this that you're just like, that was not a fun feature of being a swimmer. Yeah. Um, being chronically tired <laughs> all the time because of the consistent 4.45 a.m. or the 5.30 a.m. practices. Yeah, those alarms. Like, I don't miss that. <laughs> I know. I always joke that like, because of that kind of training as a swimmer, I never had a problem coaching classes at like 5 a.m. It was just yeah. kind of like when people say they're like, oh my God, you wake up so early. I, I thought about it for a little bit and I'm like, I did that when I was like 14 in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> it just kind of like oh that's you up to do was, that. Summer was brutal. That's that's the other thing I don't miss. Like for most people, summer was like, oh great, I can stay right. out late, I can sleep in. That uh summer for me was Monday through Saturday, 530 to 8 a.m. practice. Six days in a row. Yeah. So like good luck trying to sleep in on Sunday because your body's your so body's hardwired to up. wake up at five or four forty-five for that five thirty. Um so yeah, I don't miss that at all. What was your event, like your stroke or particular events that you were best at or enjoyed the most? I was distance freestyle and I am. So 500, 1650 and nice. 400 I am. Do you still swim much today? Uh, not in the pool. I do, I'm dabbling into some open water. Um, I've signed up for a really exciting race, a new challenge called Utilo, cool. which is going to be, they have them all over the world, but I signed up for the one here in Catalina Island and it's a swim run. So you swim like 800 meters in the ocean. Then you pop up on a trail and you run about two to three kilometers at a time. And then you pop back in and swim. And there's like four or five swims and runs throughout. It's a race. Nice. So, when is that happening? Individual. Have you started training yet? A, a little bit. Um, I've been on my run game for a little while okay. now. Nice. So now it's just a matter of, I'm not too worried about the open water swim. I think at this point, it's just something that's yeah. going to intuitively be there. You know sure. what I mean? What do you typically like to do for a workout these days outside of running? Like how have your Oof. workouts evolved since moving away from swimming? Yeah, it's funny. I, I since moving out to LA, I haven't joined a gym uh, and I'm really excited about that. I'm exploring new ways to move my body and just have fun with it. So staying less structured to a plan, it's like, all right, like I still enjoy like a hypertrophy focus, like chest day, like most mm -hmm. dudes do, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I, and I love, you know, upper body back day and leg day. But outside of that, it's like, why don't I go rock climbing? Like, that sounds really fun. It's a new challenge. I'm starting to become way more open to exploring things that, honestly, I was told I couldn't do uh, for so long. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't play beach volleyball because you were worried that if you rolled an ankle or I'm excited mm -hmm. for, you know, winter, being able to go snowboarding for the first time in my life, like, all these things that I was told no for so long, I can finally say, heck yes, like, let's do it. Let's find joy in that. And that has been really refreshing to my overall mental health, I think. That's awesome. I love that. And and I think that ties back into your points about exploring curiosity and and yeah. trying to get that to show up even in in what might not seem as significant or say intentional as like work-related activities, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, play should be, incorporated every single day yeah I believe. I'm with you there I think and people lose sight of that often um what is one food that you can't live without like if if some coach told you that you couldn't have that and you're like no that's my non-negotiable 
pancakes. I love nice. pancakes. Okay. Do you like have a special way that you personally make them or you're talking like I'm going out to a diner brunch status like I want somebody else's pancakes? I mean that that's always a plus when you don't have to make them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean I I love Kodiak cakes. Me um, too. They're the best. They're, they they're have fun. a really cool story. Have you listened to their How I Built This? I have. It's yeah. Awesome. I never they're, knew any of that. And I was always like telling all my clients like try these waffles or these pancakes like they're great. Yeah, I honestly, I'm probably going to make some after this. Like I nice. have them pretty much every day. And what I love with it is I love, the, again, the, bringing the play and the creativity and like mixing and matching flavors. Like I found, I really like the lemon poppy seed uh, or the lemon almond pop or almond poppy seed flavor, adding lemon juice into it, adding some oh. cinnamon and adding blueberries. I'm like, this is so freaking cool. So finding ways that I can like make something that is honestly pretty easy to make mm -hmm. but then like making subtle swaps here and there and keeping it fresh allows me to eat it every single day um and i think that's again go back to your point of consistency right like yep consistent but it's also mixing and matching so i'm hitting some different things uh, behind it i imagine a lot of what you've learned through flow states and and everything related to your coaching and your practices with mindfulness and all of that has come from a lot of reading, a lot of listening. So do you have any favorite books, top authors that you'd recommend to the listeners out there? Yeah. Um, I was about to say for all things flow, my go-to guy is Stephen Coulter. Um, he's got his latest book is the art of the impossible. Uh, it's a very, very detailed, like a flow state piques your interest. Definitely check it out. Um, Great. It gives you a brief overview more into depth of what we talked about today. Um, and then as far as podcasts, like I, I've been really jamming out to ritual podcasts lately a lot. Um, just the, the level of conversation he's able to have with people, I think is something that I admire and hopefully someone that I'm sitting down for coffee with sometime soon. We'll see. <laughs> Manifesting it. You just put it out into the universe. I like it. Well, Corey, final question easiest one of the day what is your shameless plug so there's two parts to it the first is if people only took one thing away from this entire conversation what's your parting message for them and then the second is tell us where we can connect with you so social media your podcast all that good stuff which we will of course mm. link down in the show notes along with some of the other books and resources you just recommended too yeah i think uh the thing that i hope people realize is why so many of us struggle to write our own story is we don't think we're worth the ink and we're always worth the ink. So lean into that, be unapologetically you, share your story. And when you start to do that more and more, I guarantee people will start to see your true value in this world. So lean into that. Um, and if anything I said resonated with you today, um, I can be found on social media at Corey Camp on Instagram. Um, and then the company I'm building is Forever Athlete. So we got a book coming uh, in October, which will be a super exciting project um, all around this concept of identity, tapping into your true identity daily. It's a co-author project. So nice. it'll be me along with 20 other people's story in there. Um, and yeah, I'll I'll keep people up to date with everything through social media. The website is coreycamp.com. 
Perfect. Well, thank you again, Corey, for joining The Fix today, for imparting all of your knowledge on The Fix listeners. If anybody out there got even an ounce of value from this, you guys know what to do. Most important thing is to share it with other people. We appreciate reviews as well, but definitely sharing it to spread the message. And to Corey's point about writing your story, it's a great reminder for everybody. And the more people we can encourage that and kind of make that the norm and the standard, the better off we'll all be for that. So hope you guys have an awesome day from wherever you're listening from. This has been another episode of The Fix and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks, Corey. Krista, thank you. You're welcome.